Let us proclaim the good news of Easter Sunday. Christ, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. This is the day the Lord has made. And we are rejoicing as we join spiritually with brothers and sisters around the world to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the birth and renewal of hope and love. Turn to your neighbor and shake hands and wish one another Happy Easter. We would love to have everyone in worship this morning share your names with us on our friendship pad as it passes your way. Hope you'll remember to join with us in fellowship out in the coffee patio following the service this morning. The announcements of our church are on the Connections insert. There you will see the mission statement of Laguna Presbyterian Church that in response to God's love. We are called to be a Christ-centered community where people can discover who God is and the depth of Christ's love, develop individual spiritual gifts and be equipped for ministry, demonstrate love and hope in Laguna Beach and beyond. In this way, we glorify God. Welcome to this community and fellowship of the love of God. Follow along in all the announcements of the week. Many things going on. Our grief group begins tomorrow afternoon at 4 o'clock. And there are many other things. So take this home with you and uh, review it. It's great to have you. You're visiting here this morning. Love to meet you following the service today. The blessings of God rest upon you and all of us together. Let us pray. God of love. We lift our hearts to you. You have proven your love for us in creating all that there is and redeeming the world in your Son, Jesus Christ, and filling us with the Holy Spirit of pouring out your love into our hearts. And we are alive this morning in your presence. Living, resurrected Christ, may you be glorified and honored, we pray, when all that we sing and say and do for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. On the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they didn't find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, 
Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. Rejoice, heavenly powers, sing choirs of angels, exult all creation around God's throne. Jesus Christ, our King, is risen. Sound the trumpet of salvation.
Rejoice, heavenly powers. Sing, choirs of angels. Jesus Christ, our King, is risen. Let this place resound with joy, echoing the mighty sound of all God's people. Rejoice, heavenly powers. Sing, choirs of angels. Jesus Christ, our King, is risen. So let us stand and praise him together.
The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for all the saints according to the will of God. And so let us pray. Lord, bring new life where we are worn and tired, new love where we have turned hard-hearted, forgiveness where we feel hurt and where we've wounded, and the joy and freedom of your Holy Spirit where we are prisoners of ourselves. Hear our confession in the silence. My friends, hear the good news. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.
reading through Paul's letter to the Romans this year. We come to the crescendo of his message to the Christians at Rome, a passage that the church has treasured and has brought such comfort and hope and security to Christians across the years. I'll begin reading in chapter 8, verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, our distress, our persecution, our famine, our nakedness, our peril, our sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The man who wrote these words was known as Saul of Tarsus before he became a follower of Christ. And he was a man who was righteously zealot and committed to his cause, to his religion. He was working his way up the ecclesiastical ladder in Jerusalem, and he was succeeding. He received the commission from the authorities to travel to Damascus for the sake of rounding up followers of the way or those who were becoming known as Christians, that he might bring them back to Jerusalem and put them on trial. And all of this in the service of God. On the way to Damascus, a city whose name we know in our own contemporary history, he was encountered by a bright, shining light that blinded him. And the voice spoke to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
but rise and go into the city and it, it will be shown to you what you must do. And three days later, in a room on Straight Street in Damascus, the Lord sent Ananias down to where Saul was. And he came to lay his hands on him and to pray for him. And as he did so, the scales fell from his eyes. And he could see. He left Jerusalem thinking that he could see. On the way, he was blinded. But now he could see in a new way, not just with his physical eyes. He could see with his heart, with his mind, the ultimate meaning of things and, and what had happened. He began to understand that he had it wrong. But the one who was crucified in Jerusalem, that many were following, had now in fact been raised from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. And that truth, that reality, transformed his whole life and gave him a worldview and a mission from which he never stepped back. To the churches that he founded, like the churches in Galatia, he wrote about his new Christian identity, I have been crucified with Christ, he said. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what happened to Saul of Tarsus. His life was revolutionized and turned around by the power of divine love. And thus love was released into human history as a redemptive power that would ultimately transform heaven and earth and heal the brokenness of the sin-sick world. The apostle understood with his new calling that he lived between the times, between the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God, and he knew that there were many difficulties as we do and there were many things that we might consider that would separate us from the love of God. After all, that's been the history of humanity from the very beginning, hasn't it? The power of separation, of alienation, of estrangement, of broken relationships. Most primarily in humanity's relationship with the Creator. And so life has been lived in the context of the words used by Paul in Romans 8 where he asks, who will separate us from the love of God that we've come to know in Jesus Christ? And he asks, will hardship separate us? Anybody here never had to deal with hardships? The apostle had plenty of them. Dangerous travelers, enemies, false friends, beaten and stoned and left for dead, shipwrecked, health problems, 
you name it, financial concerns, anxiety for all the churches that he had established. He knew what hardship was. But he was not alone. Because the one who is now alive within him, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of love, had become totally identified with every hardship that we might imagine. And Paul the Apostle knew that the one who died in Jerusalem and had been raised on Easter Sunday morning was with him in the power of the Holy Spirit, helping him, comforting him, Paul knew that at the cross that God in Christ had absorbed the evil of the world, the suffering of the world. Therefore, he could write, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. More than conquerors. We just don't have a theology of glory or triumphalism, do we? Paul didn't. He knew what it meant to bear the cross, to be exposed to all the dangers and frustrations and struggles of being a human being, of having things happen to him that he could not control. He was on his way to Rome, and, and he was going to proclaim to the Christians there that Caesar was not Lord, but Jesus is Lord. And wherever he went, the folks said, you're going to be bound. And if you continue in this direction, you're going to lose your life. Hardships. And Paul talked about death in that first, in that paragraph. It's interesting that the first word he uses in that paragraph is the word death. Can death separate us? If Paul believed that death would separate him from God, he would not have taken the journey. He knew there were dangers. And he could have written the story that C.S. Lewis wrote in The Horse and His Boy in the Chronicles of Narnia. The little boy, Shasta, on a long journey from the moment he was born, never understanding it, exposed to weakness, being attacked and wounded by, by enemies, and now riding his horse over a dark mountain pass, fogged in only to be aware that there was a giant presence walking beside him that he thought was some ghost. Who are you, he cried. And the voice identified himself as the one who had driven him on, who had attacked him, who had comforted him, who had been with him. The voice said, I have a destiny for you. I intend to use you and your presence in the land of Narnia to save Narnia from Narnia's enemies. You can give your life along the way. We, we've been reminded in recent months of how dangerous it is to be a Christian in many places in our world. We've seen all those orange-clad Coptic Christians lined up on the beaches of North Africa 
in their orange suits, praying to God and to Jesus to help them as those clad in their dark suits with their long knives beheaded them because they were Christians. We've read the story about the Christians in Kenya. 150 of them killed because they were Christians. There are many places in our world who live with the awareness that it's not safe to be a follower of Christ. We are so grateful for the religious freedom that we have to gather in this place this morning and to worship the Lord, to proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and to pledge ourselves to following him. But Paul says, not even death can separate us from the love of God. I've always had a problem with death. Maybe you have too. When I was, I think it was in the ninth grade, my great-grandmother, who was 101 at the time, passed away. We had her service in our, in our hometown, and I was there with my parents, and this Assembly of God Pentecostal preacher weeped his way and screamed his way through the whole service and terrified me. And it took me years to reframe that experience and to begin to get over the fear of dying. It almost kept me from going into the ministry. Because God, I didn't think I could deal with loss and grief. And I could tell you so many stories. But through it all, in identifying with this message of Romans 8 and reading it in so many memorial services and graveyards, I have found my heart warmed and comforted by the assuring words of the Apostle Paul that not even death can separate us from the love of God, that we're held secure in the arms of God's love. One of my friends here this morning gave me a quote from Anne Lamont, she says, the meaning of Easter is that truth can be buried, but it won't stay there in the grave. Because God is the source of all life, and when God's Word speaks, He calls us forth to live with boldness and courage, to stand forth. And I hope that I would have the courage to stand and be a martyr for the faith, knowing that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Life. Can life separate us from the love of Christ? There are many things that happen to us in life, things that we had not expected, surprises, difficulties, I thought this week as read the Friday morning L.A. Times and saw the big picture of Robert Schuller, the founder of the Crystal Cathedral, and read the story about his passing this past week, 88 years old, remarkable man. He and 
His wife, Arvella, came to Southern California from the Midwest in the 1950s to the hotbed of the development of, of everything that was going to happen in Southern California. And they looked for a place to start a church. They brought a, a portable organ with them to play. And they couldn't find a place except for a drive-in theater. And there they set up shop and built a cross. And people began to come. And his own reformed brothers and sisters, I mean, talk about God's frozen chosen. They were so critical of him that he was preaching the gospel from a passion pit where people sat in their cars and listened and necked and made out and all those things. And there was Schuler right in the middle of that. I thought it was profoundly symbolic of the message of the gospel that this is exactly what God did with us. He came to the very garbage dump of the life where he was crucified for us, and that's where we come to know and to see God. And he built the Crystal Cathedral and an international television ministry. When I first came here, there was a very wealthy man in the church who said to me one day, Jerry, you can become another Robert Schuler. All you have to do is let me send you to his Institute of Successful Church Leadership. I'll pay your way, he said. If you learn the principles and implement them, we will double your salary in two to three years. <laughs> And that sounded really good to me. I knew all about Schuler beforehand, but I went. And I was so touched by that experience. And the one thing that I remember that he said out of that time was this. I've never forgotten it. I never will. He said, the structure of every success is a cross. The foundation of every success in life, of every life story, is a cross that implies suffering and stretching. And I brought that message back with me, and I had to tell my friend, you know, thank you for sending me to this inspirational thing. I, I learned that Robert Schuler knew John Calvin far better than me. But I can't be Robert Schuler. My church is not next to Disneyland <laughs> and four freeways coming together. And I can't build a huge parking lot. We're just worried about having enough space for a few meetings here in downtown Laguna Beach. And I knew that there were many of my friends who were there from around the country who would go back to their places in the Midwest and other places and try to build their own crystal cathedral. Still have one of his coffee mugs. <laughs> Turn your scars into stars. <laughs> tough times are for tough people. And 
millions of people heard that message around the world and came to believe in Jesus. And how many Easter Sundays were there that he stood in that place, in that cathedral that now belongs to the Roman Catholic Church as a result of his own bankruptcy and conflict and struggle in his own family and changing culture and circumstances. But he stood in that place and proclaimed the good news that nothing can separate us from the love of God. How many Easter Sundays did that message sound forth to the world? I want to honor him and lift him up and give thanks for his service to the kingdom of God. I believe he's now with the saints in glory. Knows the fullness of the meaning of the cross and of the resurrection of Jesus, the message that he proclaimed. No hardship. Not death. Not anything that can happen to us in life. No brokenness. No sin can separate us from the love of God. This is the best message that the world has ever heard. Allow yourself to be comforted by it. It was in November of 2013 that the friends of C.S. Lewis, the great Oxford Don, were allowed to place a memorial plaque in Westminster Abbey in London commemorating the contributions of C.S. Lewis to literature and poetry. And that memorial stone is now in the Poets' Corner in Westminster Abbey. I hope someday to see it with my own eyes. On it is a quote from Lewis in 1944 that he gave from an address he gave in, in Oxford. And it reads something like this. I believe in Christianity. Even as I believe the sun has risen. Not because I see it, the sun. But because by it I can see everything else. By it, by Christianity, by the message that we've proclaimed here this morning, by that light, by that shining sun, we can see everything else and life has meaning and purpose. And love is the very power that creates, redeems, sustains, and will bring in the new creation. It is the foundation of our life. Materialistic worldviews, not enough. You can accumulate things until you drop, but someday you're going to drop, and material possessions will not be the explanation for the meaning of your life. You can be a hedonist and seek all the pleasures that you want, but it's not enough. 
You can be in hot pursuit of will of power, but power leads to injustice and evil without love. You can believe that life is absurd and go online on the Internet and research how to commit suicide on an airplane. But that will not stand. For at the end of history, the only reality that will stand is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. His love is the foundation of our life. His love is the power by which we live. His love blesses us and makes us His church and journeys with us through every valley of despair or darkness, through every persecution, through every famine, through every hardship, and no power in the whole cosmos can separate us from the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? God, have mercy on us and help us to believe and to entrust our lives into the care of His love so that we know today we are surrounded not just by friends, but we are here in the presence of the Holy One before whom is to bow in reverential awe. Pray with me. Plant these words of Easter assurance in our hearts. Transform our lives by the same power that transformed Saul of Tarsus into being a servant of God in the cause of the kingdom of God as a follower of Jesus. Lord, you know every story that has come into this sanctuary this morning. And you know every hardship and every fear and anxiety that we bring with us. You will know all the things that have happened in our lives, some planned and not. May we leave this day knowing that your providential purpose and plan have been at work bringing us to this moment of surrender in faith to the power of love. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground.
the company in heaven we rejoice that you have shattered the power of sin and death in deep gratitude we offer before you all that we are able these gifts our words our prayers knowing that nothing can separate us from your love we entrust to you today those whose present lot in life makes them desperate for hope and healing for the people of Kenya, 
people of Syria, the people of Yemen, and for all who long for healing. We thank you that in your cross and resurrection, you do save and heal us and our world from all our broken ways. Oh God, you are ever able to do for us more than we could ever ask or think. So let your love bid once again for each of our hearts until the day when the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Even as we pray together as you have taught the coming of that day, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. and in death we belong to God. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, let us go forth in Easter hope with Easter assurance to live into the power of God's love. Amen. Amen.